So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. say you hit record because we're here together in the flesh in the flesh in the uh lower left corner of the united states incorporated incorporated united states yes um so today welcome to feature creep colon building microwaves semicolon industrial design that we've never talked about apparently yeah i don't think we have yeah so <laughs> which stands to reason i mean neither of us is an industrial designer that's fair yes yeah but um although i did work in industrial manufacturing for a little while so it's you know adjacent we're deg- um, we're like one degree of kevin bacon off of industrial yeah, design right yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so welcome to feature creep and uh if you are listening for the first time uh great and if you're listening for the 10th time also great um if you're in between or after like any other numbers of times is incorrect and you're doing it wrong so um so these are for our 10th time listeners and our first time listeners and that's it if you're not one of those go back um if you've gone past 10 it's too late you don't get to listen to this episode right right there are rules uh speaking of rules we would love to hear from you i mean we demand that you email us immediately immediately um you can email dana our the CEO and co-founder or founder, really. Yeah. Let's be honest. She was just, everything is on Dana's shoulders for yep. this podcast. And uh, you can email her. So D-A-N-A at F-C-B-M dot I-O. And she will route your questions and comments uh, to us. You can also just go to our website, F-C-B-M dot I-O, and find direct contacts for both Meg and I or uh, Dana or just our general email, which I think is like info at... I don't know. FCBM.io. Yeah, something something at fcbm.io. Anyway, uh, WTF at <laughs> fcbm.io. Yes, yeah. Uh, a little trick or a little hint people might not know about is you could actually email that address and it will get through to us. So, That's right. It will. Um, yeah. Hey, butt faces. I got some ideas for you at fcbm.io. Will probably come through. It will. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah. I mean, we'd like to hear from you. We've heard from. Uh, some listeners, which is cool, and the other cool thing is like we hear from people who we don't know at all, at all. Um, because mostly, like you know, when you start a podcast and you tell your friends and you're that annoying friends that are like, "We have a podcast, <laughs> hey," and they're like, "Okay, I guess I'll listen," uh, you know, and then they write us emails. They, to they give you lots us. of like generalized excuses for why they don't listen to anyone's it, yeah. podcast <laughs> ever, much less your podcast. <laughs> right. So, like, don't expect a big reaction because they're just not podcast people. But if they were podcast people, they'd be excited for us. But they're not, so they're won't. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I. Yeah, we would appreciate listening to you. So on sure. onward and forward with industrial design, um, where to begin? Uh, we're just going to kind of first crib directly from the industrial design Wikipedia page as of Monday, June 6th, 2022. Mm. Uh, so the basic idea of the concept of industrial design, according to Wikipedia, it is a process of design applied to physical products that are to be manufactured by mass production. Mm. Um, and this is where I say, like, I do have some experience with this, having worked in a manufacturing space where I was 
both designing things that needed to be manufactured as well as building machines to manufacture said things. Yes. Um, that's very cool. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, interesting times. Um, so, uh, According to Wikipedia, it's a creative act of determining and defining a product's form and features, which takes place in advance of the manufacture of production or of the takes. Sorry, let me start again, which takes (laughs) place in advance of the manufacture or production of the product. Um, It typically will consist of purely or repeated, often automated replication. Um, And that's where like most of my experience comes in as being like, okay, but can I make this with a machine, mm-hmm. you know, 50 times a minute as opposed to like having some very complicated assembly structure that takes very dexterous skilled labor to put yeah. together. So tiny, tiny child hands, tiny child hands. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> so let's get into some interesting things. Um, I looked up industrial design in my academic library. And yeah. Two people popped up who both wrote a book <coughs> called Industrial Design, but it's not the same book. It's two mm-hmm. different books, but it has the same title. Of course. Of course, that's the case. So Raymond uh, Lowy, or Lowy, mm-hmm. um, Lowy uh, was a French-born American <coughs> industrial designer, and he, uh, according to Wikipedia, he achieved fame for the magnitude of his design efforts across a variety of industries. So um, he wrote in 1979, he wrote his book, Industrial Design. And there's this really slick picture of him on the cover where industrial design is um, in like a really high impact font, but it looks like it was spray painted on like in a stencil. Uh-huh. Um, and there's this like industrial design across the top in like red. And then it's got a picture of him kind of like awkward, casual leaning on a on like a filing cabinet with like lots of objects around. Yeah. And he's wearing like a tie and a suit. Anyway, um, he was born in 1893 and died in 1986. And he wrote, um, uh, he was the, he was an actual designer. So he made stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, he like, let's see, mostly in the United States, he designed the shell Exxon TWA and BP logos. Interesting. Yep. The Greyhound Cena Cruiser bus. He designed the bus itself. Oh, wow. Um, Coca-Cola vending machines. Oh. Um, and the bottle redesign and the Lucky Strike package cigarettes that will for sure give me cancer. Uh-huh. Since I smoked them when I was like 17. Uh, cold Spot refrigerators. The Studebaker Avanti and Champion cars. Oh, wow. The Air Force One livery, which is their outfits. I almost said costumes. Oh, they're right. Not disrespectfully. No, I have a lot of respect for costumes. Yeah. Um, and he was engaged by equipment manufacturer International Harvester to overhaul its entire product line. Um, he also did railroad design. Um, yeah, and he was referred to as like the father of streamlining and the father of industrial design. Um, John Heskett is another person who wrote a book called industrial design. He himself is not a designer. I think he's a, he's a, he's dead. So he's not anything anymore. He's dead. He was born in 1937 and died in 2014. He was a British writer and lecturer on the economic, political, cultural, and human value of industrial design. 
Oh. So he taught in the fields of design history and design thinking, was a professor at the Institute of Design, Illinois Institute of Technology, and the School of Design at Hong Kong Polytechnic University, um, where he was a dean, and he was also a visiting professor at various universities in Turkey, Japan, Chile, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, and Finland. Um, so he wrote uh, Industrial Design, and then also, uh, I like this title a lot, Toothpicks and Logos, Design in Everyday Life. Um <clears throat> and he contributed heavily to the history of design. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, their books popped up like front and center when I sort of like searched for industrial design mm -hmm. in the academic libraries. Um, it looks like there's a really interesting book too called Industrial Design, Reflection of a Century. Oh. And there's a bunch of authors, Jocelyn Denoble, Terence Conran, um, the Galerie Nationale du Grand Palais in France um, covers industrial design from 1851 to 1993. Sounds really interesting. Um, I like what this says here. As, as Sir Terence Conran remarks in his foreword to industrial design, Reflection of a Century, every single thing made by man or woman since the beginning of time has been designed. That's like basically the sentiment we started out this entire podcast with. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like if it's a thing that was made by a person, then it was designed. Right. And you, that's, you're a designer. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons we've always felt like it's perfectly fine to put it in the category of like art and design, because those are the things we're talking about as yeah. creations. Yeah. Human, you know, or, you know, in our, in our everyday world, What's that you got there? Oh, a pencil? Yep. Let's talk about how shitty that is. Yeah. Oh, no, that one is designed well, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> yes, et cetera, um, et cetera. There's, a, there's kind of a good example. Um, there's a little paragraph or a couple paragraphs uh, in the industrial design article in Wikipedia. And um, I just thought this was kind of interesting. In the example section, um, there was a person named Victor... Schreckengost, Schreckengost. What a cool name. Yeah. Uh, who designed bicycles manufactured by Murray Bicycle for Murray and Sears Roebuck and Company. And I don't know if they're still around. I kind of remember when we were kids, Murray bikes were kind of the, um, they were like ubiquitous. Like, like they were kind of just like a lot of people had them. Uh huh. Like, oh, that's a, you know, and, but I think it's really interesting because that's, uh, there was a time, I think, when bicycles were, like, pretty ubiquitous with, like, kids. Like, most kids had bikes. But I don't know if that's the same now. So, yeah. I I mean, I think bikes are still very popular. I think it. I think they're pretty popular. I think kids still ride bikes quite a bit. Yeah. I, um, they've also, like, updated the design of bikes so that kids don't have training wheels anymore. They have those glider bikes. Yes. Which, which is so much smarter. So much smarter. Yeah. It's like the pedaling is not the hard part. It's the balancing. And right. yeah. Um, yeah. The, well, I guess, I guess technically speaking, the pedaling is the effortful part, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the bikes are, bikes are pretty cool. I think they're, I mean, for sure they've had some resurgence in popularity since COVID because there was the, like the huge shortage of bicycles. Yeah. Like you couldn't buy one if you wanted one. Yes. Um, and uh, let's see. So um, other example industrial designers that people probably have heard of is like the uh, Charles and Ray Ames, you know, of the yeah. like Ames lounge chair. Yep. Um, very popular. Uh, but I think I think the interesting thing about industrial design that maybe people don't always 
consider is that oftentimes design decisions are more about the manufacturing process than they are about like the human interface with the product because you're constrained by those things. So it's like, well, here's what's available. How do you make the thing that you want out of this stuff that you have? Right. Right. Like, um, something that people, um, maybe don't know that much about or have certainly heard of is the concept of like ring spun cotton. Mm Um, and, uh, and really, basically, that has to do with the industrial design of the product. Like, ring-spun cotton. Um, so, uh, I'm just making sure I get this right. So, um, okay, so ring-spun cotton uh, yarn is made by twisting and, and thinning the cotton strands to okay. make a very fine, strong, like... And so ring spun cotton is typically like feels softer mm, mm-hmm. than the non ring spun cotton. And so um, I think they they hoped to capitalize on that, like by being like, oh, it's ring spun. But I think people don't really understand like what that means. Yeah. Um, like why that might might be better. I would imagine these days like it's hard to tell the difference because, you know, industrial processing comes, you know, comes full circle to the point where it's like what matters is like how many shirts we can churn out. And, yes. you know, one one company that advertises ring spun doesn't necessarily mean that they do a good job of like ring spun cotton production versus like another company that's using a more normal or sorry, the the alternative mm-hmm. um, of just kind of um, using the vegetable fibers t- twisted together to make yarn as opposed to using the ring spun um, cotton methodology but anyway yeah um, it's it's amazing within textiles the range of like um tactile experiences you can get from the same material depending on how you treat that material after the fact mm -hmm. like um, yeah there's lots of cotton that's not particularly pleasant to wear because of the the weave of it yeah or just like that's really nice yeah i love mineral wash cotton but finding it's kind of hard Oh, really? Yeah, it's really soft. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind of and and a lot of this stuff is like what happens in the in the industrial manufacturing portion mm-hmm. of like whatever you're dealing with. Right. And that's also like a design process, right? You're design yeah. like you're thinking about like does this matter, you know, and like what influences those decisions? Mm-hmm. Like do they think that the extra cost of ring spun is going to allow them to eke out a margin of like either capture more sales right or capture higher end sales or whatever you know yeah um yeah it's an interesting interesting problem that we all we all i think in the end suffer from because usually what it is is like whatever the whatever the lowest common denominator that's where we're going to sink to like if you can get 100 people to buy your shitty ass like abrasive cotton and only 10 percent of them can't wear it then you know, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do. Right. And those 10% people are fucked because, you know, 90, 90 people are buying the t-shirts anyway. <laughs> and that makes good business sense because I can sell 90 t-shirts for cheaper yes. as opposed to a hundred t-shirts for quite a bit more. Quite a bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so many variables that go into like the price tag on the end product from a, from a chain of industrial design decisions. Right. Like, um, 
it's interesting to see how similar products can cost more or less when they arrive to you based on some like seemingly arbitrary things along the way. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I find also an aspect of industrial design that's like infuriating is that sort of like, um, you know, Apple being like the most forefront in, in, uh, in this idea of like, um, creating products that are almost impossible to repair. Yeah. Even though like going out of your way to create a product that is harder to repair than it is to just replace from the manufacturer so that you're kind of guaranteeing more sales as opposed to creating a product that like might actually last a long time and be repairable Right. as they move away. Like, you know, when they moved away from the removable batteries to the point where, you know, and everybody's known forever, like laptop, well, laptop, like lithium ion cell batteries Mm -hmm. have a shelf life that is real particular yes about two years and apple's like that was like one of their first things they did is they're like oh no you just it's sealed in there now and then you know they explode industrious people will figure out how to replace them and then the following year the new model will be like nope it's even harder to get these out of here Um, it's hostile architecture for individual products yeah yeah um and i think that's where like the right to repair movement is so important because um it's it's a fucked up side effect of like the way our capitalist industries like work. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. So the right to, uh, the right to repair is, um, like this movement. If people aren't aware of it, um, you can look at repair.org and, uh, what the deal is, um, is, uh, if you buy something, you should own it. Right. Um, you should have the right to use it, modify it, repair it, and you should have the right to do those things whenever, wherever, however you want. Um, Repair.org is on this sort of like mission to make sure that people actually own what they buy and that you're not violating a warranty when you take your own shit apart. Right, right. Like, um, you know, like Apple seals that battery in there. And if you crack open that computer and try to get that battery out to swap it out with something else, you voided all kinds of things about mm-hmm. like the, the essentially the contract of ownership that you've entered into with Apple when you make the purchase of one of their items. Right. So repair.org advocates for repair friendly policies, regulations, statutes, and standards at the national, state, and local levels. Members of the Repair Association enjoy the backing of some of the world's most powerful activists who travel the globe on uh, your behalf, testifying in front of state houses, standards committees, and media outlets to make sure your business continues to thrive. So um, one other aspect of what they do is advocate. So if you have a broken thing that you own and you want to go get it repaired by someone who's a professional, you should be able to decide which professional you go to to have it repaired. You shouldn't be like forced into a relationship with a very specific person who's the only person allowed to touch your stuff. Right. Otherwise, blah, 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 blah. Um, And so like there, this organization has already succeeded Um in jailbreaking stuff, doing automotive repair, the right to unlock your cell phone. I think farm equipment is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're constantly launching initiatives that um, affect legislation on a state level and on a federal level, and so that you have the right to just do with your stuff what you want and have whoever you want fix it. 
right and not mean that you're sacrificing or violating your own rights to ownership over that object when you do so um but yeah right to repair is super important yeah yeah it's interesting too um i i think one of the other topics you mentioned in there or one of the like aspects of the right to repair is that concept of like owning the product that you uh, owning the goods that you buy yeah um and i always felt like pretty early on so i felt very frustrated with paying a lot of money for a cell phone and feeling like I don't actually own it. And then like being served advertising by the owner of the cell phone who wasn't me, Mm -hmm. even though I paid them for this hardware. Yeah. And early on, like cell phone companies kind of did that thing where they like talked about it, like you own it, but really you're kind of renting it from them where it's like, it's like you're leasing a car. Yeah. Yeah. You're leasing a car and it's like, you're not actually like you're liable for damage to this product. And like, it's actually ours, but you're going to pay for the privilege of like being able to use it for a little while. Right. And, um, and then also like, Recently, like I kind of moved away from Windows a couple years ago, um, just in my personal workspace, like even though I still work with Windows plenty in a commercial or like in my business environment. But um, but the like realizing that it was like, oh, no, no commercial operating system exists now that doesn't basically try to rope you into managing your advertising presence, like your presence on the internet as a target for advertising. Yes. Like, you know, a window, a new clean installation of windows involves you going through describing who you are Mm -hmm. being saying like, you basically have to say like, this is who I am and this is my advertising preferences. Mm -hmm. I don't get a choice of like, what the fuck are you talking about? You don't ever need to connect to the internet again. Fuck you. This is my, this is my computer. This is yeah. my system. You don't get to know who I am. Right. I don't want to talk to anybody, but none of them do that. Like Apple's like, yeah. in some ways, I think Apple's behind on that curve because they're, they, they want you to log in, but you don't have to. Yeah. You can I try not get around to. It. Yeah. Like it's, I, I have put up a number of like these sort of, um, like I was using DuckDuckGo until it turned out they sold everybody's shit. Oh, really? Yes, I did not of know course that. they did. Of course they fucking did. Yeah. did. Of course they fucking did. Because at some point, when you have a critical mass of people who are like buying into using your shit because you're claiming to be like super ethically, privacy yeah. mm-hmm. oriented and ethically minded or whatever, uh, like eventually the you're going to reach a critical mass where like all of those people, the fact that you have their trust means that there's a dollar sign attached to it and that dollar sign will eventually supersede the trust that you have with those people and then you'll just sell them out fuckers of course i mean it's like i don't know why anyone including myself expects anything different but yeah so i don't i i have put up a number of like these weird little roadblocks to like it doesn't make my life on the internet very easy because it creates all of these workarounds that i have to go through to like log into websites and stuff because all my shit's not stored everywhere and it's not automatically anyway i don't think it's worth it i have no idea i just don't ever want to use this shit again <laughs> like i just right i just i requested all of my data from amazon did i tell you this no so i've been a member of amazon right since like the early 2000s because i lived on an island and it was one of the only ways to get shit 
Right, right. Like back in the day. And I think you and I mentioned the other day when we were talking, like we started shopping on Amazon because it was a bookstore. Right, because that's where I bought my books. Even though they were the evil empire then. Like they were like, we're smashing local bookstores. And it totally happened. And there was a bookstore called Amazon Books Mm -hmm. in Loring Park in Minneapolis that was founded by lesbians. It was a lesbian bookstore. That's why it was called Amazon. (laughs) And Amazon, the big Amazon, Jeff, stupid poo poo pants bezos yeah like they sued my amazon bookstore and one and my little like lesbian bookstore yeah not mine i mean like minneapolis little lesbian bookstore uh had to shut down and change their name well they just shut down because (sighs) big amazon was like we're amazon now Uh uh-huh as if like this tiny little store was going to cause any confusion right right about like no i mean the other amazon anyway so yeah um but i started using amazon a long fucking time ago so you can request your data from them Mm -hmm. and they keep a huge amount of data on people yeah like i know that it's huge and i knew this going in but Mm -hmm. i didn't realize you know like you think back it's 2022 i've been a member of amazon since 2004 right or 2005 yeah and you're like every keystroke everything you ever looked at every yes. page in a kindle book you ever read yeah. every it's all there it's right. all in there every every conversation your alexa has ever overheard right it's in all there f- the full recording yep it's all there yeah every your whole life just exists it's unnerving it's very unnerving <clears throat> they can tell you how much time you spent reading which pages of your Kindle books on what day from what hour and mm-hmm. minute and second to what hour, minute and second and which sections you highlighted and how long you sat there on each page looking at those words. Right. Like we now have like this perfect apparatus for sorting people. We just want to like ship off to concentration camps. Right. Yeah. By like, oh, you, it says here that you read, it says here that you spent 59 minutes reading like, Marx's capital right. on this date and uh that puts you after the declaration against reading these banned books which means that you're going to ship you off right off you go you've we have a full record of every infraction that you've ever made even if they're not infractions yet right right someday if we want to retroactively punish everybody for anything they've ever done in their whole lives we now have a more than enough records to do it mm-hmm but yeah, like, oh my God, this one guy who I was reading about got his his information from elect, from Amazon and he has kids. Yeah. And like everybody, we had a conversation with a friend of ours about this one time. We were like, if, if Alexa mm-hmm. is listening for your like trigger words, yes. that means Alexa's listening all the time. Right. But only engages when a trigger word comes up. But right. they, in order to know whether a trigger word has come up or not, they have to, to be all listening the all the time. Right. And then a friend of ours was like, that's not how it works. And we're like, that's insanely how it works. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the the whole idea is like, well, it's, it, it's recording it's recording everything, even if it thinks it was a trigger word, but it wasn't a trigger word, meaning that it's just recording all the time. L- listen, it's just recording all the time. Everything you say in your house is now being recorded. Right. So there's like this guy had 90,000 
recordings uh-huh. on his Alexa because yeah. he has children and there's always noise in the house. So it's right, re- right. it's recording constantly these little discrete recordings. Yeah. One of them is like the is like his children asking Alexa like what's a vagina? <laughs> Alexa, what's a vagina? <laughs> Alexa, like all these like curious anatomy questions from uh-huh. these tiny little child voices. What's a penis? Right. And so like uh um even if Alexa doesn't have an answer for these things or Alexa doesn't respond, Alexa is always listening. Right, because the question's still recorded whether or not in it yeah, like whether it was yeah. triggered to respond. Yeah. So I just find that super interesting. I uh I, I did that only... for Google um yeah. a couple years ago. I got and I got back um I got back some recordings that I was like, what the fuck? Like it was like a bunch of recordings in my car conversations I had with various people I was driving places with and just like way more of a conversation than really was warranted. It was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it's just at no point was like, okay, Google mentioned or anything. We were just talking about some random shit. And it was just like, yeah, just huge swaths of conversation transcribed. Like, yeah, I was just God. like, "What the fuck is going on?" So, yeah, I, it's it. I just think about from like a, from like a digital logistics standpoint. I guess I don't know yeah. how else to phrase it. Like, why would you go through the trouble of creating something that was so complex that it had to switch on and off all the time, only at the right times? Mm-hmm. Just make it on all the time, right? And then go back and only select for things that are useful when the Mm-hmm. request for them comes up just record everything yeah well they are i mean that's yeah. what's happening even right. when you say don't do it i mean right. That's, right. that's the worst is like you set your privacy settings and then you get an update and you have to set your privacy settings again and they say it somewhere in there right. probably to cover their own asses but you're like okay so somewhere down in the fine print at the very end it's like you may need to reconfigure your privacy settings or whatever right. otherwise you're tacitly agreeing to you know human centipede <laughs> Someone will be here to chow ass momentarily. Right. Oh, um, God. <laughs> that cracks me up so much. Uh, I love yeah. that, like, sometimes I love what passes for, like, horror for other people. Mm-hmm. Like, the worst nightmarish thing that you can think about is putting your lips on somebody else's butthole. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> I don't think you've experienced real pain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're worried about this, I don't think. Uh-huh. I don't think you've experienced real pain. Um, so yeah, yeah. So Alexa's always listening. I don't know that. Like, I was really concerned about like privacy rights around um, like the ring doorbells and stuff too. Yeah. I don't think giving up that much security and privacy to a third party for some supposed benefits is ever going to be worth that trade off. I just don't think so. I mean, that's like they're not responsible enough. That's like all of our problems in in sort of capitalism, right? Like it's sort of like like with insurance, like the concept of insurance is this great idea that we all pay into this communal pot. And those of us who have it the worst get evened out a little bit where it's like, oh, your cost, like we'll all cover for everybody's suffering a little bit and we'll all be better for it. Mm -hmm. And some of you will never have an incident. And technically lucky you, you You didn't even break your leg. So you didn't have to, but you still paid a little into the pot, but you also didn't have to pay a thousand dollars to deal with a broken leg. Right. But because of the capitalism part of it, you have the people who are running the system being like, right, but we need to scrape off as much profit as we can. Mm -hmm. And so you get diminishing returns on the people who are being served by the product. Right. 
like Ring or any of these other products where it's like it's too it's too much money for companies to pass by on mm-hmm. just for the convenient just just because like they're like here this is a convenient enough that everyone's going to buy into it right. slash not have a choice that's the other problem yes. with with that thing of like owning your cell phone or owning your goods that you yes like we don't really own it we can monitor and listen to everything you're doing on there because we we really it's our product right that we technically own that you're, you're leasing from it. us yeah. yeah you're you're just paying rent on it you're yeah you're just paying, it. yeah exactly yeah so anyway yeah this is like the this is the argument that our, my friend our friend who like yeah wants to sell his house and just moved into his jeep to be like off in the middle of nowhere all the time is complaining about it. like if you're paying property taxes then you never technically own uh that's not that the worst part is like for <laughs> me like taxes are typically like the last bastion of a place where that's not going on as much yeah i'm not saying that there aren't politicians who are constantly trying to grab that money and use it for things that are more personal right. that happens all the time it's just from my point of view more in the clear than in a corporate like a sort of closed capitalist corporation yeah you don't know what the fuck's going on with that. I mean, they're just taking the money. Right. There is no tax. So right. They just fucking take all the profit they want. Yep. You never get to know. You never get to know what you're getting for it. Right. Well, and so the thing that I was mostly concerned about with... The thing that I'm mostly concerned about with these like third-party private companies that yeah. are providing services that seem like a public good in a lot of cases, like, like if everybody's got a ring doorbell and we can all see what's going on, then it makes all of us feel safer because somebody's hypothetically always watching at all times. Right. But there's protections in place that prevent, for example, the police from like surveilling you without a good reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so what you're kind of doing with these third party products is that you're circumventing like, legal protections and other regulatory things and legislative things that make you safer when that type of stuff is going on. Like you're safe, you're protected from the police performing unlawful searches and seizures. Mm -hmm. But like if you give the right to constantly monitor you to a third party, that's not the police. And then that third party turns over the information that they gain from monitoring you with your permission 24 seven to the police who would otherwise need permission from our court of law to do that. Right. Then they've circumvented your constitutional rights in order to surveil you in a way that's not constitutional, except that it is because you relinquish those rights to the third party and Mm -hmm. the third party can do whatever the fuck they want at that point with your information. Right. And so I was always like, (laughs) worried i'm still really worried like that hasn't changed i'm worried about that eventuality um but i also have heard a couple of stories now where like somebody's ring doorbell contested the police's account of what happened and has been used to like exonerate or clear people of right right like alleged wrongdoing because there's now a a video Mm -hmm. that's like no the cops lied (laughs) and and i i don't i i mean that's great and that but that doesn't to my mind like change the dynamic of the problem where it's like you're no longer in control of your data the fact that Agreed. you were able to get that data from ring and use it to yes. your advantage is fantastic for you but you're not guaranteed that right? you're not guaranteed they don't that have to help you no they don't have to help you right. and it might have just been a fluke that it's like oh you were smart enough to like have downloaded that before mm-hmm. you know 
other larger players got involved where they're like, no, we need to close this down. Because, I mean, you know, the police might be like, okay, well, that needs to be locked down and no one can have access to it anymore because we've said so. And they have a different agreement with Ring than they do with you, even though it's your data over there. And that's part of the problem is like who owns data, which is a whole other fucking issue. Especially, I think this is like important to industrial design because most of the things that are being created today, um, there's a huge push to link things to data like data collection, data interaction mm-hmm. that exists in on the internet. Yeah. That whole internet of things where it's like, okay, no longer is my toaster just making toast. It's reporting statistics on that toast for whatever fucking reason to the cloud so yep. that I can click a button on my phone and have it notify me that I'm going to get that my toast is ready in the other room or yes. whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, well, like, and this is like those refrigerators where they're like, your uh, your ice cube maker filter is is yeah. running low. Right. So we took the liberty of charging your card on file and mm-hmm. sent you another $300 filter, whether you wanted it or not. It right. should show up at your house. You'll know because you'll see it on your ring doorbell. Right, <laughs> right. yes. You know? And now you're living the modern Jetson so lifestyle. now your fucking refrigerator is spying on how often you make ice. Mm-hmm. And then making decisions for you using your money, Mm -hmm. which if you buy that fridge, you can't not have. Right. Like you have to have. I I think the Internet of Things is really terrible. It's already playing out in some really terrible ways. Like people who have those, um, you know, like smart thermostats. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard a couple of stories now where people were like, we left and then the we were on vacation and it turns out this company went out of business mm-hmm. and because they're just some private fucking company yeah it, oh, sorry not a private company they're like some dude on a laptop in his yeah, mom's basement some dude. <laughs> yes. um, it's like oh well we're not a company anymore so mm-hmm. we're shutting down everything right i mean we're shutting my laptop now mm-hmm. and then like people come back and their thermostats haven't been on and running their houses for like right 10 days yes 10 days all your pipes are frozen everything is fucked uh-huh. Because you spent three hundred dollars on a thermostat for a company that was like some fly by night startup. Uh-huh. Doesn't exist anymore. Like I th- we are also experiencing uh some like weirdness around the telehealth company that Damon works for because it was mm-hmm. acquired by another company. Yeah. And as a patient of that company, yeah. And also as someone who's like on the sausage making end of things by like passively observing right, what goes right. on. I'm like, fuck this whole like privatization of healthcare seems like the convenient option up front, but it's a really horrible idea for several reasons. Yeah. One, the obvious, right? It's mm-hmm. classist. You have to yep. be able to buy into these things. Right. If you have money, you can get whatever you want in this super cheap and easy route. Just right. take the direct route, pay somebody for it. Right. Right. You have money. We have a thing. We can do a trade, but like, um, when the profit motive is the thing that's motivating these like health companies, they can say a bunch of stuff about what they do is provide care, but actually what they do is like widen margins mm-hmm. and like do they're all like focused on like, well, what are, what do we have to do for this initial public offering that we want to like, we've already decided has to happen in the next 17 months. Like we right. won't accept any other possibility. Right. And it's like, fuck, I gotta get out of this company. Yeah. Um, like I gotta move my prescription somewhere else because it's like they just start making really weird decisions and it's like these sort of like industrial processes applied to 
like these tech companies are applying industrial techno technology processes to like mm -hmm. healthcare and the outcomes are like it seems really great and convenient up front but on the back end it's a total shit show right right yeah i don't know well anyway um anyway back to <laughs> speaking of speaking of shit show yeah industrial design industrial um, design um <laughs> i think i i think like many things um i think the design world has this interesting kind of trend towards uh it's an interesting blend between like pure creativity and like practicality mm -hmm. that uh i think creates this very interesting kind of like cultural phenomenon of um deitizing like certain kinds of like perfect examples of industrial design right oh. like the ames chair yeah. being this thing that everybody's like oh an ames chair or like um you know certain kinds of like classic classic design that's that's sort of recognized in the industry um and like the people that are behind it in this like mythology of like how great it is you know like it's yeah like the pantheon of design gods yeah yeah exactly and i think there's an interesting kind of culture around that where um you know people like you can kind of spot people where it's like they dress a certain way like they they're like very put together in a particular way like they they might have like very particular kinds of glasses that they're wearing, like very round or like very like, yes. it just feels like it pushes that they're never going to be wearing that thing. That's like the middle ground mm -hmm. of like, you know, it's not super dark Brown. It's just Brown or it's just, just black rim glasses that you might see on anyone. Like yeah. it's sort of now it's like they're, they stand out in ways that, um, or you like go in their house and it's like, like their coffee maker and their, you know, coffee grinder and their, you know, chairs and everything is like really purpose built. Like, but it feels museum piece like. Yes. Because they're like, oh, here, like in my own life, I have these examples of like perfect industrial design, um, which I, I don't I'm not trying to poo poo it. Like, I just yeah. think that there's a there's a tendency culturally to see like I see that like I when I you know, some of my industrial design friends or people that work in design, either art design or design design and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, they all have a little bit of a tendency towards that. Like yes. there's a kind of cultural exchange of like, Ooh, you got that thing. Like I, you know, and I, the kind of everything yeah. is shown off a little bit in that way. I love the Louis, the 14th ghost chairs. Oh yeah. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and that's an, a good example of like, uh, a kind of industrial design. So mm -hmm. do you want to describe those or? Oh, so it's a, <clears throat> it's a clear acrylic chair that's in the style of a French Louis the 14th salon chair, but it's made out of a single contiguous piece of plastic mm -hmm. and it's see-through. So it, it, it like, and what is that? Like, what is that shape that Louis the 15th? Oh, like? so the Louis the 14th, it's like a round chair it's like an oval where the back goes yes right. and then it has like arms mm -hmm. that kind of swoop down and it's sort of straight back and it's sort of straight back yeah right right um like high backed but not like super high right it's not like a wing chair right you could seat it at like a dining room table if you wanted to right gotcha yeah yeah and i think at this point man i'm not sure they might make it with and without the arms oh sure yeah um but i love them because uh i really enjoy clear acrylic furniture mm -hmm. because it both like gives you an actual design for your eye to reference like there mm -hmm. is shapes and angles and like a, a definite object and a thing there, but also mm. it's see-through, so it doesn't actually take up any physical weighted space. Right. Like right. 
I, I, I get really what you're like saying. It. Yeah, like it just kind of it. It's, it's there sort of, and not there. You're right there. It's like the outline of a chair mm-hmm. that you can use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody penciled it in right there just yes. for this moment. Right. Yeah. So you can see like straight through it to the other side, but mm-hmm. yet it's still there. Um, and that's a that's a perfect example of an industrial design process mm-hmm. where it's like you know you're trying to capture add all of these other properties to it like potentially transparent right. um you know and then the manufacturing process being like oh well it's a con- made one of, con- yeah made out of a modern sheet. material yeah like, modern like, material lucite right it is. yeah and so they're probably molded in some way or like mm-hmm. heat they're probably like heat draped or something over a, a form yeah. they're formed it's, yeah, molding they're formed. is a very particular kind of thing but they're like probably formed yeah. um yeah I don't, it's fascinating um and that's a design, like, I bet there was a lot of, like, industrial design decisions that went into that where they're mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe the original chair idea was wanted more of a curve here or something, but that's not practical in a manufacturing sense. So it lost some of those features right. through the iterative process of getting to that point where they're like, now we can mass produce these. Right. And then, yeah, yeah. And the mass production is, like, the, the big industrial part. Like, yeah. make it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Same way every time. Right, exactly. And that's the part I think that um, makes industrial design what it is. Like it's it's like a cornerstone of its kind of mm-hmm. thinking idea. Um, this, um, this reflection of a century book, the industrial design book, talks about um, like a bunch of like fashion and social trends and ergonomics and color and sound and like virtual reality and computer-aided design and synthetic materials. Yeah. Um, And they talk about, like, iconic design items uh, or artifacts like Singer sewing machines, Remington typewriters, Ford Model T cars, mini skirts, the Walkman, the Apple Macintosh computer. Um, It has, like, a big chronology of places where technological inventions and products came to be. Mm -hmm. And it situates them within cultural, political, and artistic events happening at the the same time, um, which I think is really interesting. Like, I think it's, like, everything about industrial design is just this, like, call and response with, like, what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. It just occurred to me, too, like, uh, some of those products had... I think there's a weird place in um in commercial design processes where with the right kind of attitude and funding one can design products that um that although they may have been like economic or like sort of an economical failure in the moment like set a trend. Mm. I can't think of any right off the top of my head right now, but there are plenty of like Mac products like that. Where it's like, oh, this year they did these things yeah. and like most of them never really took off. But you can still see some elements of it that can carry over. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the Mac one button thing just fucking went forever. Yes. And like now now it's sort of the no button world, which is great um, because, you know, well, anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, things like that where it's like these things just kind of like some of them flop, but but with the right kind of environment, the designers should be able to experiment because that's part of the problem with testing, right? Like you, it costs money to put a product out and get it in front of people, but that's the only way you're going to know in the end, whether it's going to be viable or successful. Yeah. Yes, definitely. You have to field test it. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting problem. Um, And a lot of these things are just interesting problems that happen. Like this is our society and there's nothing I'm going to be able to do personally to change the fact that I live in a capitalist society. 
Like that's, I, there's things I can do to push against it. Yeah. But it is overwhelmingly going to continue despite any one thing I do. Yes. So. Yep. Because we've decided that like certain categorical and massive losses to individuals and groups are acceptable. Right. As long as those hinge on the promise of somebody getting rich somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I, if you disagree with this, I, by all means, I would love to be proven wrong or to be given some other form of hope I haven't considered, but, um, <laughs> so please write in or, you know, let us know your thoughts. Uh, but, uh, where I was going with this is that, um, given the state of the world, there are these design pro like industrial design problems that are being solved all the time. And there are things like I think about in my own world as I move forward with various business plans and ideas that I have for my own, you know, my own way to continue to stay afloat and feed myself and yeah. take care of myself. Like it's sort of um, interesting to think about like starting a business and knowing what I know about the various industries that I work in and like where would I fit that also means I'm not like giving up too much of my soul to like, mm -hmm. you know, and when I say soul, I just mean like my, my sort of ethical considerations and the things that make me feel good about being a human versus like what I might feel bad about having caused a lot of significant harm to others because I decided that I wanted to make this product that's going to you know, go out there and put a little more plastic in the world or right. go out there and like cause a little more depression because people can't stop clicking on it on their phones or whatever it is. You yeah. know? Um, so which gives me money at the cost of like everybody giving up just a little more fraction of their sanity. Mm -hmm. So that's a, and that's where like the video game design and like these, like when we've talked about building games mm -hmm. and creating and publishing games, it's like something I consider because there are well-known like paths that, create games that are essentially slot machines yes and that's a whole swath of people in the world who once they find slot machines never really recover yes and so it's like yeah it's a trap it's a trap like you know it's a fiscally like very lucrative way of doing it potentially like mm -hmm. if you can create a pretty good slot machine and put it online and get a lot of people to play it you're gonna people are gonna be throwing quarters at you and the next thing you know you've got quite a lot of money right but at at the cost of knowing that, well, I will know that people lost a little bit of their, you know, their well-being yeah. because of that. Right. I don't give them value. Right. So. It's just extractive. Right. Yes. Right. It's just extractive. So yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. So industrial design. Uh, we could also um, maybe like, so we still don't have uh, color colors of the day have not uh, recovered fully yet. Um, but we could just talk about how we have plans to f publish and fill out the back catalog. But if you're listening to this, it should be published today, June 8th, I believe June 6th, June yeah. 6th. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll publish this episode. We've got a back catalog of, you know, there's various reasons we have not been able to publish or we've failed to publish in the last month, but we appreciate those of you who have stuck around and are still listening. There's also just a huge back catalog. So yes, we're. Uh, I feel like we're kind of having one of those things where it's like, um, you know, like when you're driving down a freeway and you have the ability to go straight through a city, or you can take like the loop. Yeah, like in Minnesota or in Minneapolis, it's 94. So yeah. 94 is the interstate. But if you want to avoid driving straight through Minneapolis and St. Paul, yeah, you can go on 694 and 494, which okay. are the loop around 94. There's also a 394 that cuts through. It's a big mess. Yeah. Um. <laughs> 
anyway i feel like where the podcast has been is like no 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 we're still here we're just stuck on 694 <laughs> right, like yes. you guys keep going we yeah. will shoot out on the other side <laughs> right and right hook back up with you yeah yeah like, we've been doing something the whole time it just hasn't been making it to the internet where you can see it right right <laughs> exactly yeah um so pretty soon there's going to be an overwhelming amount of shit for you yes. to listen to yeah. um I was just like, I thought that this was really interesting. So there's this um, book, uh, A Short Course in Industrial Design by... Oh, no, hold on. I already... I, we stopped talking about no, this. I know. I'm teasing. <laughs> Is it called... It's by Eskild <laughs> Tjalva. Yes. Um, and it's... I, it has some really interesting things in here. So if you read the table of contents, it summarizes the whole subject matter of industrial design yeah creation of a product okay the idea of form yeah the life of the product properties of the product the step-by-step creation of the product including its main functions sub-functions and means basic Mm -hmm. structure quantified structure total form form of the elements product synthesis i mean this is it yeah it's all right here two Methods used in form design, limitations, structure variation, form variation. These all have like these little like subheaders under each of them. Yeah. Under structure variation, the structure variation method, structure variation of the main elements, range of solutions for two and three elements, structure variation in connection with function, uh-huh. a coherent example, a team maker, structure modeling. Under form variation, the idea of functional surfaces, the method of variation of the functional surfaces. This is just like I'm. My brain's like yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yeah. I like that it's like so structured. Yeah. Um. Under form factors, the origination of form requirements, the interdependence of the basic properties, mm-hmm. design factors, the designer, the company, the society, production factors, manufacturing process. Feasibility, economics, the operator, the economics of the detailed design assembly. I mean, this is like great. It's like all the shit is here. Yeah. I like that this is like so like it's almost like a checklist. You can just like, mm, here's how to make a thing. Right, right. Um, uh, this is interesting. Sales and distribution factors, uh-huh. factors concerning the product in use, input, output, function, realization of the function, quality of the function. Um, normal operations, occasional operations, subjective circumstances for Ooh. the user or operator. Now I want to read this book. I know. I want to, too. I ha- I found it on Google Scholar. Yeah. Um, and it's called A Short Course in Industrial Design by Eskild Talva, or T-J-A-L-V-E is the last name. Talva. Sweet. Talva. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But yeah, so it's... um. And then chapter four, the appearance of the product, mm-hmm. aesthetics, unity, order, form elements, combining form elements, visual balance, rhythm, proportions, lines and planes, joints. Like this, it's, what's interesting is like, I think that I've always had sort of like the mind of a designer, although mm-hmm. I've never had any formal training in it. Right. Because these sort of like the, the way that these chapters in this book are organized is sort of how I like think about stuff when I go through like trying to make a thing. Right. Right. So I got to check this off that, like think about it this way. Right. Rotate it around that way. Um, when was this written? It's a lot of it is just asking the question, why? Yeah, why? 1979. Oh. First published in English, 1979. First published in Denmark in 1976 as Systematisk Udformning af Industrial Producter. 
I bet a lot of that stuff applies still. Yeah. You know, this, uh, there, this almost the entire book is here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not surprised. Like older books are typically. Yeah. This is really cool. Yeah. A lot of really interesting. Oh, they have lots of really interesting um, illustrations and such. Um, in terms of like the quantified structure, they've got little symbols. They've mm-hmm. got lots of examples of old vacuum cleaners. Yeah. Really cool. Um, yeah. I like this. I just, I like that th- when I like that when you're designing something, there's like a process that you can follow. Like yes, it's not just yeah. left up to fucking chance. You right. Know? Like, right, eh, right. There's like, no, you could cover the bases. Oh, there's steamrollers in here. Interesting. <laughs> steamrollers. Lots of discussion about the design of steamrollers. Um, <laughs> I love when there's like, uh, when you're kind of learning about new some some new area of study like mm-hmm. in academia or whatever um and and you're surprised by like some example that turns out to be like a very good example to work from yeah you're like i would never think of steamrollers as being a good example but you can imagine when i think about it it's like oh there's potentially lots of industrial design decisions that go into that and what were those and why were they made and mm-hmm. oh it turns out steamrollers are a great way to talk about industrial design for whatever reason i mean i'm yeah. speculating yeah. but um but i love that i'm trying to think of a good example i recently encountered in um i think it was uh in software design like i actually i was using this example the other day it was like doors yes just being like oh if you're designing a piece of software like a door is a great analogy, even though it has nothing to do with software. Right. And I know that's not quite the same. Like a steamroller is not an analogy of industrial design. It's a practical version of industrial mm-hmm. design. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this idea of like, you know, make it's like, well, why a door? Well, because there's these various parts that need decisions, hinges, color, size, shape, weight, yep. you know, which way does it swing in and out? Only one way. How does it lock? How do you operate it? Like mm-hmm. all of these things. And anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is it automatic? So, is it not? It, right. Exactly. Yeah. Where does it lead to? Yeah. Where does it lead to? Yeah. Exactly. Thin air. Thin air. Yeah. And a long o- drop. Often. Often. <laughs> um, the number of meetings I've been in is like, okay, well, we've definitely figured out a door. You guys did notice like when we open this, it goes to nothing, right? Well, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> right now we're busy opening it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, like... Uh, there's so much design and it just so many layers of design that go into like the everyday objects and like things around us. Um, And I just like, I think about, Oh, how many times did somebody reiterate on the design of this like lamp that you've got clamped to the desk? Yeah. Like was the original clamp not strong enough? Right. Was it, too strong were people's feeble hands not able to like operate the clamp and mm-hmm. so like it became a moot point that it was a clamp lamp because nobody could clamp the lamp anyway right so this clamp lamp that we're referring to is a matte black um gooseneck right mm-hmm. we just call that like yeah. a gooseneck like a, a flexible um metal. a stiff flexible metal tube that leads up to a small i a classically like conical shaped um it looks like the early space capsules, the early, yeah. um, like the early Apollo capsules, maybe. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and it's just got a switch on the back and a bulb in the front. And you, I chose these because they were so iconically like lamp shaped. 
Right. Like they're, they don't like have classic. any like yeah, they don't have any like weird flair. It's just a clamp. It's like a chip clip at the bottom. Mm, yes, a really heavy duty chip clip. <laughs> yeah, heavy duty chip clip with a lamp stuck to it. Yep, with a lamp stuck to it. Yeah, and then you can like swivel the yeah the head. Uh, I see that it has a futuristic light bulb in it. It does have an LED uh, bulb. It's an LED. Um, it, it's reminiscent of an old halogen. Yeah, so they style. are they are just like an LED version of that. I can't remember what the um what that bulb style is, but it is a it's a reflector bulb, I think. Yeah. Um, but they're like flood bulbs, right? So they yeah. like point. They're directional. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Well, um, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. Do we have any colors of the day? We don't. Well, shit. I know. I could I could come up with some colors of the day, I imagine. We could do the old style. Yeah. Hold on. One area of industrial design that I think is really fascinating is bioengineering and like bioreactors mm -hmm. because bioreactors are just taking some kind of a biological object that you want to replicate and making a fuck ton of it really really fast mm -hmm. so that you can do the same thing over and over and over again and basically explode the reiterative process on an exponential mm -hmm. sort of measurement mm -hmm. and have a huge amount of data on a huge number of results mm -hmm in a really short amount of time. And so like the industrial design of micro reactors and bioactors is really fascinating to me. Well, I've got, um, yeah, the bioreactor that, that whole world is bizarre and pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we, maybe we can do an episode that's more biology designed oriented. Yeah. Bioreactors. Bioreactors. Um, yeah, no, the colors of the day is still broken. Um, Shucks. But what we can do is offer some more bland colors. Um, okay. So we're going to do umber. Umber. You know, people, this is a color that people use in painting all the time. Yeah. And so umber is um, is going to be pound sign 362312. That's the uh, hexadecimal value of it. Okay. And just one moment. Um, Will you repeat that? Yeah. So 36... Oops, will I repeat that? Three, six, two, three, one, two. Yes. And if you pop that in the Googler, you will get back the actual color of it. The RGB value, so the red value is 54, green is 35, and blue is 18. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a dark brown. Um it's got a very warm brown though. Like it's a very orangey reddy brown. Yeah. Not like a, yeah. Not like a purpley or a gray brown or a cool brown. It's like very warm. Right. And so then I would um, love to have a cake with frosting that was this color. Oh yeah. It's very chocolatey. Yeah. Yeah, it is very chocolatey. That's a good way of describing it. Um like if it was like a multiple layer cake, but the cake inside was chocolate also. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other value, the other color we have uh, is stone. And this, uh, the hexadecimal value for this is uh, 877F7D. 
And the RGB values for this are 135, 127, 125. This is kind of a very, like, I would say it's more of a slightly light gray. Mm. It feels a little warmer maybe than, um, like, it's got a little more red. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so umber and stone, those are your colors of the day. Uh, we will hopefully be able to return to our research department's more nuanced and particular colors yeah. in the future. Um, so for now, you're stuck with the uh, the more boring web standard color color combination of, again, umber and stone and those colors, which, again, if you pop, pop these into Google, it'll show them to you right away. Uh, and we'll just do the numbers one more time. So the hexadecimal for umber is 362312. And the color for stone, or the hexadecimal for stone, is 877F7D. That's 877 Foxtrot 7 Delta. Woo! We got colors again. We got colors again. All right, team. Good job, everybody. Great job, everyone. We talked about some stuff. Yeah. And so once again, um, please, by all means, send us an email. Uh, you can email Dana, D-A-N-A, at fcbm.io. Thank you for listening Please uh, have a look at the back catalog if you liked what you heard now or you didn't like what you heard now, but you'd like to maybe give us one more shot. There's uh, every episode is very different. Yeah. Um, Ned's Nautical Nightmare is a good one recently. We've mm-hmm. enjoyed sharing with friends. Uh, that one is a long story of a sailing trip I took a couple years ago um, <laughs> that was disasterful. So if you want to know about the horrible time that I had sailing, but also the most amazing time, yes. um, that one is for sure a good one to look up. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, I forget, like we have so many. Um, yeah, there's a lot of absur- absurdism. There's a lot of like art shit. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff. There's a bunch of science stuff tossed in. Yeah. The, um, I believe there was one, the candy vanning episode has candy been pretty Vanning's popular. Pretty great. Um, there's also, uh, someone's going to die has gotten lots and lots of interest, but then people realize it's not about like true crime and they, <laughs> they, they depart immediately. It, apparently that's a, um, someone's going <laughs> to die is a really good, uh, clickbait because although it does seem like there's, it gets the regular number of listens that most of our episodes do. So, even though it gets a lot more initial clicks, mm-hmm. it's still the people who like our stuff seem to want to listen to it. Um, yeah. There's, uh, there's, let's see. So um, I'm trying to think of, uh, there's, let's see, anxiety in a cup. Uh, which was a lot about coffee, which was pretty fun. Yep, that's Ned extremely caffeinated talking about his love of caffeine. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like this um, deep introspective mm-hmm. journey into, <laughs> yes. into caffeine. And it's great. I listened to it and cracked up because the experience of um, you know listening to it in podcast format is very similar to the experience of just having a conversation with you. Because uh-huh. um, it was like, uh, so you you might ask yourself, well, what does it matter what the grind on your beans is? And I will tell you. And so it's like, <laughs> and that spins off into five different things, yes. each of which you can't really fully appreciate until you know five different things about each of them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so it just sort of, the conversation sort of like 
blooms exponentially uh-huh. because everything we want to talk about is contingent upon another thing that we need to talk about first in order to truly appreciate the, uh-huh. gra- the gravity or the scope of the oh that's funny i've never really thought about that but that is absolutely why i like talking to you it's like we're (laughs) you're really willing to just like yeah okay but let's get the actual rabbit hole going like this isn't yeah yeah you really care what we're gonna have to do is back up a little bit right hot brown liquid no 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 (laughs) let me tell you about coffee um Uh there's another one on here uh that i really like the title of and maybe i will actually go back and listen to at some point Uh existential dread and the self-licking ice cream cone of despair yes (laughs) (laughs) we've we've got some good ones out there i know i know in fact in fact maybe my recommendation is just go read the titles if that tickles you maybe you don't like listening to any of them right. that's fine by all means go enjoy the titling titles. of our podcast yeah i mean yeah. the titles usually come from some like actual piece of the discussion that we're having like mm-hmm. you know, yeah yep we sometimes we don't even know what the titles are until after we've recorded them and we're like there it is yeah also we were doing i think um if you're just looking for something shorter in our podcast list, if it starts with the word short, comma, whatever, then it yeah. should be, in theory... A shorter... Le- less than 60 minutes. Yeah. Um, in theory, they were supposed to be like five or ten. Um, we I think, never achieved that No, I think goal. they're more in the half-hour ranges. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's our, our self, self-aggrandizing... Self, self-advertising? I don't know. Self-promotion? Self-promotion. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah. Also, we have a book recommendation. Oh, we do. But we could talk about it in its own episode. We could, but we could recommend it now. And yeah. then when we record another episode, maybe people will have, you know, the right listeners will be like, I got that book and now I'm reading it. And now yes. they're talking about it. Yes. Maybe. Um, so the book is uh, published through Three Rivers Press. It's called How to Talk to Your Cat About Gun Safety. It is an excellent book. I was given this book for my birthday by my partner and it was um, surprisingly thoughtful. Like when I first got it, I was like, oh, she kind of downplayed it. She was like, oh, you know, it's not really a big deal. I just kind of thought you might like this. And it's it's hilarious. Right. Um, It's incredibly funny. Yeah. If you have the sort of, um, you know fearful parents who are really not equipped to steer the lives of their offspring Uh in any particular direction this book will this book will be both relatable and potentially helpful in that it could give you some direction that your parents were never able to give you Uh um the book is written as a helpful guide for feline parents just like you would you know how to talk to your kids about this or that or the other right how to talk to your cat about uh, gun safety, how to talk to your cat about evolution, abstinence, online safety, which is very funny, Mm -hmm. drugs, puberty, post-apocalyptic survival, and Mm -hmm. Satanism. (laughs) And then there's helpful section at the back, further reading and photo credits. So there's lots of photos in this book of cats engaging in various... um, activities gun related or otherwise uh-huh um and uh instructions for parents for how to you know deal with the frequently asked questions that arise from each of these sorts of activities mm-hmm. really good for people with cats or anyone else they need to boss around mm-hmm. 
Super great. Most things are phrased as helpful questions, like from the perspective of a cat parent. Uh huh. Like, what's the big deal if my cat wants to do drugs? <laughs> or how young is too young to talk to my kitten about catnip? Uh huh. How can I tell if my cat has been using drugs? There's a photo in this section with a VW, like one of the Volkswagen buses, the Vanagens or uh-huh. whatever they're called. VW bus crashed headlong into like a telephone pole with a cat behind the street. <laughs> <laughs> and like one of those um, wooden beaded seat oh, cushion yeah. covers. Uh-huh. Like <laughs> I kind of want to get one of those for my truck. The beaded seat cushion covers. Yes. Maybe that's what I need to do in my you life. You do. Yeah. I, what I really like are, um, you know, they're like the usual sections about like, how do I talk to my cat about drugs in puberty, right? Uh-huh. Just like a yeah. child. But the how to talk to your cat about post-apocalyptic survival is uh-huh. just great. <laughs> yeah. Do I really need to talk to my cat about preparing for the collapse of civilization? <laughs> Teaching my cat these skills seems like a waste of time. Are we really in danger of witnessing the collapse of civilization? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So you'd learn about all of these things if you if you got this if book. you got this book. Yeah. What are the benefits of my cat living a lifestyle of abstinence? Good questions. Yes. If you're a fun hater, this book is for you. <laughs> or if you know a fun hater. If you know a fun hater, this <laughs> yes. book is for them. You can get it for them, and they will appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> all right. Are we? Uh, are we good? We're good. Okay. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Everyone. Bye. Bye. Wash your hands. Yes. Wear a mask. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Okay, bye.